0: The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptismokopani.com. All right, First John chapter 1, verse 5. And we're going to go into chapter 2 up until verse 2 because that's still part of the same idea as John writes this letter. I want to tell you this if you weren't aware of it in the past, but when these letters were written, whether to the church or whether the prophets made their notes or whether the history accounts were written down, they didn't use chapter headings. They didn't use verse references. It's as if we would read a storybook. There are no margins. It's just one flow, one idea. The chapters and the verse breaks came later on. So they are not inspired. Look at your Bible, you go well, Jesus said, you know, First John 1. That's not how the early church knew that, right? So just that you are aware, when you look at it and you go, but why are we breaking into another chapter? It's still the same idea. Those chapters and verses weren't there from the beginning. Remember, when you look at First John, you're looking at a letter that was written to Christians. When you write your letters, do you write chapters and verses? I don't believe so. Nonetheless, just so that you have that in the the back of your mind here we are in first John and as we come back to first John I want to just remind you that the Apostle John wrote this letter to give Christians the assurance of the gospel you know what assurance means it means to be certain of a truth be certain of a fact So the first thing that is important for our salvation, and this is what we discussed two weeks ago, is to know the word of life. If you go back in 1 John, the first four verses, the first thing John does is he points us to Christ. That Christ is both God and man. Not 50% God, not 50% man, But 100% God and 100% man. If that is not true, then the sacrifice that Christ makes is not enough to save sinners. But because it's true, because Jesus became man and he made the sacrifice, remaining God, his sacrifice is enough us to be saved from God's wrath and that was the first assurance that Christ truly did come to the earth lived among man as a man and that he truly died so that we can live in him now the very next thing John wants us to be aware of you can see he's a typical evangelist the very first next thing he wants us to be aware of is sin If you don't know about sin, you won't recognize the need for salvation. Because if there's no sin, there's no need or purpose for saving. But because there is sin, there is a need for salvation. So John wants us to be aware of sin and its reality, its truth. But at the same time, he wants us to be aware of salvation. I want to say this, and you need to be aware of it. We cannot talk about salvation without discussing sin. And we cannot talk about sin without discussing salvation. We have to have these walk hand in hand. And so as we come to this, here's the encouragement. Christians are to confess their sin readily. John says we need to be ready to confess our sin not ready to conceal it but to confess it the reason for this is the confession of our sin is basic to salvation If there's no confession of sin show me in scripture if there's no confession of sin how are they talking or referring to salvation Paul in the book of Romans clearly shows us that because of sin we need to confess our sin Repent from our sin and trust in the Savior. So you're going to hear the word sin a lot this morning. Amen? Are you ready for that? Sin. Just sin. It's going to get, get it out of the system. The issue is, in John's day, when he wrote the Gnostics in his day, or the false teachers in his day, said that you don't have to confess your sin. That you can be saved without confessing your sin modern-day false teachers put it this way i heard it just the other day again a false teacher said listen man i don't care about your sins and these things jesus loves you but jesus cares about your sin yes he does love you when you are in him when you have confessed your sin so but he loves the whole world does he though does he though let's talk about it more I want to put it in this way in order for you as a Christian to have the assurance of salvation you have to be aware of what you are being saved from you have to have an awareness of what you are being saved from we are saved from sin and it's consequence what is the consequence of sin help me out Death, right? And how does that death come to us? It's like a train with a jet engine marching towards you. Right? Imagine this train with this jet engine coming towards you. There is nothing you can do about it. Now that train with a jet engine is God's wrath. It's His anger against sin. You can't avoid it. It's coming right at you. That is what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from that consequence that because we have sinned, death is coming for us. And that death is brought to the sinner as God pours out His wrath. But John wants us to have hope. John wants us to have an assurance. Therefore, the opposite of God's wrath is His fellowship. That's a good word, okay? Write that down. Fellowship equals good. It's a good word. So as we get into it, and that'll be our first assurance this morning, is our fellowship with God. But it's not our only focus. Because part of having an assurance of our salvation is to admit our sin. It is to confess our sin. But we, and we also need to be aware of the forgiveness of those sins. The sins we confess, we can have an, aware, an awareness that we have been forgiven. Before I read our text, I want to point you to 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6.15 tells us that God is light. Says God, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. What does this text tell us? God is light. Sinners cannot, who who are in darkness, cannot come to this God who is light. He is unapproachable. Not only is God light, but He's also the source. Of light Psalm 27 verse 1 says the Lord is my light and my salvation these are important for us for me coming into our text so simply put God is light he grants light to those who are his but that light is given to us through Christ Jesus and so 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 reminds us that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded us. And therefore, the sinner cannot see the light. They have been blinded. So this brings us to our text this morning from verse 5. And I read for us, please follow. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, what is that? Sin. Before we are saved, it's in the flesh. While we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, then we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. It's the reading of God's Word. And we come to point number one. And that is the first assurance. If you want to have assurance that you are saved, that you are in Christ then you have fellowship with the light. You have fellowship with God. According to John, there were some who confessed to be in fellowship with God, but they weren't. Maybe you know someone like this, or you think when you look at someone's life, you go, they confess, but they don't do that. I want to say, if you are here today, and this is you, Let me warn you, John says, if we have fellowship with God, but we don't have fellowship with God, not only are we lying, we make Him a liar. That's blasphemy. Can God lie? What does His Word say? His Word says, what? I am not man that I should lie. Oops. It tells us something that man lies. (laughs) It's pretty depressing characteristic of us, isn't it?
1: John says,
0: we cannot lie about this. If you say, I share life with God, and, I, and you truly share life with God, John says, you have received the light. You're in Him. You're walking with Him who is in the light. That's the true meaning of fellowship. It means to be in partnership with God. So to say we have fellowship with Him doesn't mean we can walk in darkness. Because we have fellowship with Him, we need to step out of the darkness. But what do we do when we you know, kind of hold back and try and conceal our sin? We move back into the shadows. Kind of want to hide away. But you can't do that because you're in God. And being in God means you're in the light. So when you think you can hide your sin, forget it. It's in the light. God's Word tells us what? Your sin will catch you out. God's Word doesn't say your sin might catch you out. It says it will. Tremendous, isn't it? So the true meaning is to walk in light with God. And we saw in these verses that God is light. Meaning He is self-revealing. Meaning he represents holiness and goodness and life. But on the other hand, when scripture talks about darkness, it tells us that darkness represents sin. It represents evil. It represents death. So I want to ask you this question this morning. How's your walk? How's your walk? John uses this word specifically because walk is to show a way of life. If you're always walking with your head down, how do you think people will describe you? If you're always walking with your head up, chest out, stomach in, you know? How are people going to describe you? People look at the walk, so the question is, how is your walk? Now more than this, just by talking about our walk, John points us to something. That it's more about what we say, more than what we say. It's about our conduct. We can say we have fellowship with light. But if our actions don't prove, they don't show that we are walking in the light, there's a problem. You're lying. That's the problem. You're lying. Jesus says that we cannot claim to be in the light while we walk in darkness. Matthew 6:22. He says, "The lamp or the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness." That's the idea. If somebody says they're in the light but they walk in darkness, You're just telling lies. Ephesians 5 says, Paul teaches us, he says that the works of darkness are the works of the flesh. And if that's true, then you're walking in darkness. You're in trouble. That heavy loaded jet engine train is coming at you. That's the negative. That's where you're like feeling, wow, this word this morning is so heavy. But that's where the Gnostics were. They were walking in darkness while claiming to be in the light. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees proclaimed that they are God's people. That they are the holy ones. What did Jesus tell them? You're dead inside. You're rotten inside. You're dark inside. There's no light. The Gnostics claimed to have fellowship with God. But here's the sad reality within the Gnostic doctrine they taught you need to isolate yourself help me out here is it a sin to isolate yourself from God's people 100% yes it is Hebrews 10:25 26 24 teaches us what to be in communion with his people And when we isolate ourselves, do we also isolate ourselves from God? Yep. Is that a sin? Yep. So in this isolation, there is nothing but trouble. They were in darkness and they were choosing sin. Friends, that's what we do when we decide in a given moment. Right now, when you are being tempted, you have a decision that you can make. And when you decide, I'm being faced with this temptation, I'm just going to give in to this temptation. Then you are choosing darkness. And this is what happens. Sin is what distances us from God. Sin brings that gap. It's the opposite of fellowship. Fellowship means to be intimately involved. It means to run to, to be open with, to be in constant communication. And therefore, it's impossible to be in darkness and say, You have fellowship with the light. I can't understand how there's no conviction when we do that. There has to be conviction. You say, But I feel bad. That's conviction. So John teaches us, you cannot have fellowship with God with one foot in darkness and one in light. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. Because John says what? God is light and in Him what? There is no darkness at all. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? That is heavy. Now... Here's the encouragement. Fellowship with the light means we have fellowship with Christ in His love. Now that's very comforting. Because how does Christ love us? Christ loves us in that He gave Himself for us. So when we have fellowship with Christ in His love, it means we love what He loves. Fellowship with Christ means... We share in His desires. What does Christ desire? The glory of God. And therefore, we need to desire to glorify God. If these are evident in your life, friends, then there needs to be an assurance. This is it. If you love Christ and you love the things that Christ loves, it should tell you that He is working in you. That you are in Him. When you desire what Christ desires, it should again give you an assurance that you're walking in His light, that you're standing in Him. When we walk in light, it means we have fellowship with Christ in His suffering. How many of you in this room have experienced these sufferings? Yes, you have. You have. You have experienced His sufferings in this way. Because you walk with Him, you have been ridiculed. You have been rejected. You have been called names. You have been shoved shoved aside. Some of you in your workplace have experienced this. Many of you in your homes have experienced it. Sadly, some of you have even experienced it in the church. Amen? There it is. It's sin, right? But, but John says, here's an assurance for you. If you want to know you're saved, then look at how you're suffering with Christ in His suffering. That's a great comfort. Yes, we weren't nailed to the cross. Nor did we die a cruel death. But when He is approached, we are reproached. And it's a sweet thing. To be persecuted for such a loving Saviour. Amen? It's good. In that moment it doesn't feel good. But it's only right because Jesus said what? We will encounter these things for His sake. We will be rejected. We will be hated. But for His sake. Now that's just, side note, that's different. If people don't like you, people just don't like you. If people don't like you because of Christ, now that's suffering in His sufferings. Let's just distance. Let's just distance that. Let me move on. There is something that's of more encouragement as well. And that's the positive of our fellowship with Christ. And that is that we get to share in His joys. We get to share in the joy of Christ. We are happy in His happiness. We rejoice in His exaltation. You know that feeling you get when someone shares a testimony of salvation? That feeling you get when somebody talks about how Christ, you know, when it just seemed so dark, there's no finances, there's no roof over the head, but Christ came along and He provided? That feeling? That's a feeling we share with Christ. It's it's where Jesus talks about when, when when the one sheep gets lost and it comes back to the fold, there's what? celebration there is rejoicing if that is you that is an assurance that you're in the light that you're walking with him that he's working in you and through you <coughs> if you don't get excited when somebody's saved there's something wrong but if you get excited when you see salvation takes place when you get excited when you see the lord's hand provide providentially sovereignly Tells us that you're in the light, that you have been revealed in and through him. So, friends, we can have these assurances in our fellowship with Christ. If you are walking with Christ, you walking with him in, in your daily devotion, these things need to be evident. And when they are, it should give you comfort. That, hey, I'm saved because I love what he loves. I know He first loved me. Hey, I'm saved because I rejoice in what He rejoices. Hey, I'm saved because, yes, I do feel bad when I get ridiculed for Christ. And I don't reject Christ because of it. These are evidences of your salvation. They need to encourage you that despite your sin, despite how your sin distances you from God, because these are evident, they should give you hope. should give you comfort and that's what John is telling us now I want to move on to point number two another assurance of our salvation is to confess our sin John says the following in verse 8 if we say we have no sin then what we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us verse 9 but if we confess our sins He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me start by saying this, that the confession of sin is the right thing to do. It's noble when we confess our sin. But men don't like to confess sin as people we want to try and conceal it not confess it and so we might come up with complicated or even religious systems to remove the necessity of confessing sin heck we might even downplay the weight of confessing sin by putting a curtain between two people no to confess our sin means to come before our holy God. Again, John writes to a context where the Gnostics believed that sin is detached from the spiritual. It's only here in the physical, it's only what you do with your flesh. And there's nothing you can do about it. So don't make an issue out of it. Just focus on the things that are spiritual. That's what the Gnostics were teaching the Christians. And so, what do we come up with? We come up with various ways of, or to deny sin. Say, no, no, that's not sin, it's a problem. So we change the words, we change our attitude. Listen, Romans chapter 1 teaches us that man chooses to exchange the truth for a lie. That's how we cover up sin. We just deny the truth. And if we deny the truth, it is as if it never happened. And so, the issue is, why we struggle with this, why we do these things, is because we love sin. We love sin, but we hate the consequence. So we want to come up with ways to be able to sin But not suffer the consequences. Now that's a scary reality. John tells us that denying sin is a sin. Are you with me? Denying sin is a sin. Sin obstructs and denies our fellowship with God. One of our favorite Puritans, Thomas Watson, he puts it this way sin is a mere cheat while it pretends to please us it entices us sin does as Jael did Judges 5.26 first she brought the milk and butter to Sisera and then she struck the nail through his temple so that he died pretty scary right sin first judges and then kills it is first a fox, and then a lion. Whoever sin kills, it betrays. Sin is like the usherer who feeds a man with money, and then makes him loan his land. Sin feeds the sinner with delightful objects, and then makes him loan his soul. Judas pleased himself with 30 pieces of silver, But they proved deceitful riches. (laughs) Ask him now how he likes his bargain. Pretty heavy, right? But that's the reality. That's what sin does. And now we want to hide it. Now we want to kind of just pretend as if it never happened. As if we never participated in it. This tells us. That number one, we need to recognize our sinfulness. If we don't recognize sinfulness, friends, I'm going to say it, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Then you won't recognize your need for Christ. But if you're aware of your sin, if you're aware of your weakness, Paul says, then He is strong. Then all of a sudden, my eyes are open to behold Him and His grace. So when I walk with fellowship, or walk in fellowship with God, to myself, I might seem like more than a sinner than I ever have. The closer we come to God, right, the more it should seem as if we're worse. Just defiled, just so sinful. Because it's making us aware of the beautiful grace that we never deserved His salvation from the beginning. We never deserved it. But we have it. And because we have it, regardless of what we look like, or feel like, or think like, we are in His light. Amen? I hope you follow the train of thought. This is why John tells us, If we confess our sin he Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so in order for us to have the assurance of salvation in the face of our sin you know when you get angry you sin and then you're upset and it feels like you're not saved when you constantly fall in the trap of gossip and slander and Once you've slandered somebody, you turn around, walk away and feel, ah, I did it again. John tells us, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So if you want to have the assurance that I am saved, despite slandering someone, despite getting angry and sinning in that anger, instead of denying my sin, I must admit it. Must admit it. I didn't. And the joy of admitting our sin, the joy of confessing our sin is knowing that we have a savior who forgives. Proverbs 28:13 physically says, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Your mercy. Confess. Confess your sin. Own up to your sin. Therefore, John says, Confess your sin because Christ is faithful to forgive you. Thomas Watson again puts it in this way When a man has judged himself, Satan is put out of office. When Satan then lays any charge to the Christian, a Christian is able to reply and say it's true Satan I am guilty of these sins but I have judged myself already for them and having condemned myself in the lower court of conscience God will free me in the upper court of heaven confess your sin God not only forgives our sins But John says he purifies us from our sin. So let's ask the question, as the Jews did. How is God just if if he forgives sins? Because he must punish them. But now he's forgiving me. So how has he punished? You're right. God cannot leave sin unpunished. He has to punish sin. So, how does he do it? The cross. He does it through the cross. The cross is the only moral ground on which God can forgive sin. Because it's at the cross where the blood of Jesus was shed. It's at the cross where Christ made the sacrifice for our sins so how can God forgive sin through the cross did God punish sin at the cross yes who was on the cross Jesus so who then received the jet engine train storming towards you Christ Christ took it because Christ took it He can forgive Because even now Christ is still righteous That's what John wants us to know. That's the assurance that we can have Because Christ has been punished and because I am in Christ when I confess my sin I know that there is forgiveness because God has already poured out His wrath at the cross. So confessing our sin is not just a general statement. It's not just saying, oh, I did this thing, sorry. Confessing our sin is the deliberate act in which we bring them to our minds. It is us declaring them and then forsaking them. Turn away from that sin. I, just, I don't want to just hear about it. I want to know what you're doing about it. How are you turning away from it? And then having confessed and repented, the finished work of Christ, not the work that he starts, the finished work of Christ is then given to us. And so God will not judge us because he's already judged in Christ. That's why we can sing the hymn, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there, who made an end of all my sin, because the sinless Saviour died for me, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. That's why we sing it. It's the gospel. God forgives. And that wrath has already been poured out. So friends, recap. Number one, how can we have the assurance of our salvation? By walking in light with God. By sharing in fellowship with God. Number two, the assurance of our salvation is also seen as we confess our sin. As we forsake our sin and turn away from but number three the third assurance we can have according to John for our salvation is this we have an advocate Christ Christ chapter 2 verse 1 John says my little children and it's beautiful that he uses that he recognizes believers As as children of God so he says my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only But also for the sins of the whole world. John tells us that we walk in fellowship with God. That we confess our sin. But more than this, the work of Christ isn't finished. He is still working on our behalf. Not only does He go to the cross on our behalf. But He stands before the Father on our behalf. important that we understand this because every time we doubt our salvation what happened sin happened isn't it you doubt in your mind you do you do something you think of something and all of a sudden you doubt whether Christ is working in your heart we are not powerless to sin and we won't be. Not until Christ returns for us. Or when we go to be with Him. We won't be powerless to sin. Can we sin less? Sure. I've, I've yet to meet the person. Um, but we can sin less. How? We overcome temptation. We overcome temptation. But because we're not powerless to sin, it doesn't mean redemption gives us a license to sin. You say, but I'm in Christ. There's grace. I can do what I want. No, you can't. He never gave, He never gave you the license to say, I can do whatever I want, say what I want, when I want. Nope. It's not there. In fact, because we are saved and because we still fall into sin, it should encourage us to repent. It should point us to a life that Of killing sin John Calvin once said see the great difference between sin and grace sin brings a man low but grace lifts him high sin tumbles him into the ditch but grace sets him on a throne in Christ we have grace and that grace is to encourage us to lift us to To give us the hope that when we confess, we will not be punished. Of course, it doesn't change the earthly consequence of sin. But eternally, it doesn't change our position before God. I hope you're still with me. But if you say, no, let me continue in sin. Sin will leave you in the ditch. Grace brings you out of the ditch. Sin will always be there. And we're always going to be confessing that sin. And we're always going to be cleansed from that sin. But it doesn't mean we need to respond by saying, it's there. I'm going to be cleansed. All I need to do is to confess it. Why do I have to bother striving for holiness? Why do I have to be obedient? Why do I have to be in fellowship? Because that's what it means to be in the light. That's exactly it when you say why bother why bother then in darkness remain in darkness don't come to the light but when you come to the light that's where you explicitly confess your sin where you choose to walk in fellowship with God where you choose to rely upon the fact that he alone forgives Romans chapter 1 verse 6 says are we to continue in sin that grace may abound may it never be. Romans 6, six. We are no longer to be slaves to sin. For he who has died has freed from sin. Romans 6.12 Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That you should obey its lusts. So what does Paul say? That this very thing. Christ doesn't give a license to sin. Grace should encourage you to turn away from sin. Therefore, John warns us not to abuse God's grace, not to treat sin lightly. Sin must be overcome. What are you doing to overcome it? Sin has to be mastered, it has to be conquered. And you and I can do that. We can do that because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts otherwise we couldn't have done it we can do that because Christ stands before the Father on our behalf you see as you grow in Christ there should be a decreasing frequency of sin here is where John says but when you sin don't fall down and say oh no There goes all the assurance. I have sinned. How do I know I'm saved? John says, But when someone sins, they have someone speaking on their behalf. Explicitly a believer. That is Jesus Christ. In fact, let me read this verse. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus. In the Greek, this phrase is one word, parakletes, it means that you have a constant advocate, a constant attorney, but more than, because in legal terms an attorney is someone you pay and you hope he does his best, in the Greek this is someone you know, it is a friend, it's someone who knows your reputation. So John says, you have not only Christ the righteous, but a friend who is speaking on your behalf constantly, all the time. So when Satan brings an accusation, when Satan brings an accusation against the believer, the Lord Jesus points to his finished work and says, nope, it's done. Can't do anything about it. Charge it to my account. Because He is the Advocate. He is the one who stands before the Father and speaks on behalf of those, us, who have acted unrighteously. You think when you sin, God doesn't see you? Like He just ignores to look at you? No, He still sees you. He's still looking at you. But in Christ, when you sin and He looks at you, there Christ stands as the Advocate. Is says, charge it to my account. Does Christ have an account? No, it's been paid for. He already made the sacrifice. And that's such a great grace for our salvation. See, more than just being an advocate who intercedes for us, who sin, He is also the sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't just speak for us, but He bears God's wrath. And he turns that wrath into favor so we can put it this way by his sacrifice our fellowship with God is restored now we receive grace so in our salvation we can be assured that Jesus is the one who speaks to our, to, to the Father in our defense one commentator said that this suggests he is pleading for mercy for sinners by pointing to His sacrifice. So, if God were to do something about it, He couldn't. Because Christ has done something about it. He died for it. So friends, every time you and I want to choose our sin because it's going to give us some satisfaction, it's going to bring some supposed relief, don't think, oh, but once I'm done, you know, I can just confess and there's grace. No, no. You need to imagine that you're still standing in the courthouse. That the judge can still see you. The judge sees you doing you wrong. Otherwise, we are just never, never going to own up to our desire for sin. And we'll remain in that sin. Friends, I want to say that it's very hard to think a believer can choose to remain in such darkness. Because as a believer, John says you're in light. If you want the assurance of that light, then you have to walk with your Father. You have His Son as your Advocate. Therefore, declare your sins. Repent of your sins. Because He's cleansed you. That's the hope, friends. It might make it sound like God is angry and Jesus needs to calm him down. But here's what you need to realize. It is God Himself who took the initiative to provide the sacrifice which is needed for our sins to be forgiven you say, well God only wants to you know, pour out His wrath it's God who made the way possible that this God who cannot leave sin unpunished is the one who gave up His son so that sin can be punished friends, it should convict us, but it should also encourage us John is so encouraged by this that he's not content to just say that that Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But he adds, also for the sins of the whole world. Clarification. This doesn't mean universalism. John's not saying the whole world's sin has been paid for. Because if the whole world's sin has been paid for, man, things would look a lot different. John simply tells us that Christ's sacrifice is as wide as sin. You want to see how big the sacrifice is? Look at the extent of sin. His sacrifice is wider than that. Listen, it's easier to say what this doesn't mean than what it does mean. But what we can say is this. In John 5, 1 John 5, 11 through 13 John tells us that those who have the Son have eternal life. But those who do not have the Son do not have life. And that's the assurance of salvation. That Christ's sacrifice goes beyond. It goes beyond than just my sin. My brother's sin. His sacrifice is for salvation. His sacrifice is so that I can stand in fellowship with God. And because I have confessed my sin the righteous advocate will still stand for me. And that's the picture John draws for us of a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been cleansed. Is someone who confesses their sin. It is someone who is conquering their sin of the work that christ has started because of the work that christ will complete let's give thanks lord jesus we pray that this word this day would be a great encouragement that although it's so much for us to take in a lot of information and and, and some words some of us have, have never heard i do trust that your word this day would give us a sense of calming assurance that you continue to work in our hearts, that you're continuing to work in our minds, that even as your word says in our confession of sin, we confess our sins to one another. But ultimately, our confession of sin is before you. And as we declare the sin we, we rightly need to be punished for, your son points his finished work so lord we want to thank you for this grace and we want to thank you for this great salvation we pray it in your name and in your name alone amen